Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart. To boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. Welcome back to Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. You know, this time not nearly as big a gap from uh, our last recording. <laughs> it has not been a long road. It's only right. been two weeks, right? Two weeks. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. If that, if that. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty excited about that. Um, Paul, I I know you're a Christmas guy. You know, you enjoy yes. yourself some holiday. But are you a Christmas music guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say I enjoy Christmas music. Do I? If it is put, if if I'm in a place where it's playing Christmas music, I like it. If I'm entertaining company, I'll put on Christmas music. If I'm driving in my car from point A to point B by myself. I'll probably not be listening to Christmas music. Well, I uh, I, I am a a, a uh, big Christmas music fan from way back, and I, I really like to find you know sort of eclectic choices uh, for my Christmas playlist. And one of the things I do, it's it's sort of tradition with me now, is that the evening of Thanksgiving, you know, after you know the the uh, dinner has been consumed and the pie has been e- eaten, I'll retire to the deck. And, uh, you know, have a cigar, enjoy some scotch, and then start looking over all the new and different Christmas music that's out there, you know, on the various streaming services and update my playlist accordingly. Um, I came across something that is podcast adjacent. Uh, Interesting. Okay. <laughs> over the week- weekend, it is an album called Shatner Claws. Oh, it is a uh, an album by William Shatner of holiday uh, tunes, and uh, I was highly amused. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, like he like he does uh, on his other albums, like uh, you know, Common People, etc., or Has Been, I should say, Common People was a song on on Has Been. Um, you know, he he talks. He he doesn't actually sing. But, uh, ah, okay. you know, so like one of my favorite, you know, Christmas songs is O Come Emmanuel. And, you know, his is very Captain Kirk singing O Come Emmanuel. It's uh, O Come, O Come Emmanuel. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. So so I guess the question is, will you be, well, has it made, in, will it, uh, Will the songs make it into your rotation? Yeah, you know, there's I've got something like uh, 380 songs on this playlist, and so uh, you know, I I I added uh, one or two uh, of uh, the the songs from the Shatner Claus album into the playlist. So you know, and one of the fun things about adding something like that into your playlist is to then look around the room to see people's reaction to it. <laughs> <laughs> very amused. Very amused. 
But, you know, one of the things, you know, we're in the holiday season right now, and uh, I was thinking about, you know, what, what Star Trek item do I want for Christmas? And... You know, I, I got to tell you, you know, like I, I collect the uh, I don't col- I should collect is probably not the right word. Uh, I I frequently buy the Hallmark Star Trek ornaments, yes. and I and I hate the Star Trek ornaments this year. And this happens to me all the time. The spaceship this year is the La Serena from Picard, which doesn't Oof. look like a Star Trek ship. Yeah. It looks like something from Babylon Five, and I just I'm highly frustrated by that. Um, so anyway, I, I I'm not getting that this year. Um, and then they've got, you know, Hallmark has fully embraced the uh, tree topper ornaments where you, mm-hmm. all these all of these electronic ornaments hook up into a line that then hooks up into the tree topper and they oh, all yeah. talk okay. to each other. Okay. I don't like that. You know, I don't I, – I, I mean, if, if I had a, a, a Christmas tree that was just Star Trek, yeah, I'd probably do that. But, you know, I've got a – I've got, you know, all manner of genre on my tree – and I just, I, I really, I, I don't like where Hallmark is going with their uh, Star Trek ornaments. But, I mean, they have the mirror collection this year. Yeah, I don't care for that. <laughs> it's all that. the it's it's all the main cast and their mirror collection counterparts. I mean, don't get me wrong. Anytime you've got you know bare midriff Uhura to put on your Christmas tree, that's festive. But uh, <laughs> I, I just I don't I don't like how they all interact with one another. <laughs> it would be different if it wasn't the tree topper, but that's not. I'm not going to make you know those ornaments the focus of my tree. Yeah, now again, right. if I had if I had a Star Trek tree. Which, you know, maybe that's what I graduate into one day, but, uh, you know, right now I don't. I just have okay. my... But, you know, one of the challenges with the Hallmark ornaments, you know, coll- I've been collecting them, or, I, again, I don't think collect is the right word, because just like I said, you know, I'm not picking up La Serena, and I think collectors get it all, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, there there are years where I'm like, I'm not interested in that. Like, the Nemesis ornaments were, were terrible, and the... Uh, Dreadnought or whatever it was from Star Trek 2000. Uh, I'm sorry, from Into Darkness was terrible. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't get those, and that's just a, a sample of the ones I've not gotten. But uh, my older ornaments, like from you know the 90s and early 2000s, you know they're not compatible. They used to hook up directly into your Christmas tree lights, and they're not compatible with the Christmas tree lights that are produced today. Even the non-LED ones, they're just not compatible. And so uh, they make a or made a legacy cord uh, to power those, you know, so that you can continue to use them. And they don't make that damn legacy cord anymore. And that is super frustrating. Oh. If you want to buy it, you've got to buy it from a reseller like on eBay or Etsy or something like that. And, you know, when they sold them new, they were 25 bucks. And, you know, by the time I realized that I needed one of these things, they're not available. They weren't available anymore from Hallmark. So I bought one on eBay, kept waiting for the price to go down through the, through, uh, the summer, and it never did. And so I had to pay over $100 for this damn thing oh, damn. just just to light my freaking ornaments. I'm super annoyed by that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And I, I just don't understand. I mean, I know that there are a lot of guys like me who've got those classic ornaments. I don't know why there's not a... a uh, a you know secondhand market, not a secondhand market, but you know a uh, uh, you know why isn't somebody making these still? 
Yeah, why isn't there more support for that? Because people have been collecting Hallmark. I mean, Hallmark makes such a big deal out of it. Exactly. And, you know, I I just I don't understand that. And all of my ornaments are in really good shape. So I'm not just going to box them up. And I I, there is nothing that annoys me worse. Like last year, I had some that I I hung on the tree and they weren't lit because I couldn't I couldn't power them. And I was like, it would piss me off every time I walked by the tree. <laughs> that wasn't, you know, because I, I, my OCD was like that, 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 that Klingon bird of prey should really be lit, you know. Oh, super annoying. But you know, that's not what we're here to talk about today, Paul. We're not here not? to grouse about, you know, Christmas and Star Trek. Uh, but you know, one of the things we are here to talk about is some news, and I am thrilled to share this. Uh, oh. IDW recently announced that they have a new uh, Star Trek book coming out in February. Uh, it is going to be a a series of you know focuses a series focusing on the different alien races, and they're going to be extended size. Uh, uh, one-shot issues and uh the first book is documenting the chronicles of Kalos the unforgettable oh, um, okay and, and uh, this is what makes me really excited is it's by the same guys that did star trek year five these are guys i yeah and i have extolled the virtues of star trek year five a couple of times on this podcast most recently in our last episode and it is a fantastic uh, series of of, uh, of, of comics. Uh, I can't wait. These guys really get Star Trek. Um, the artist, I, I've seen some of the the preview art. The the preview art looks terrific. Uh, the artist has done some Marvel work, like he did uh, Star Lord, Annihilators, and then he also did uh, for DC did Animal Man. Uh, the artist's okay. name is Timothy Green the Second. The name hmm. doesn't ring a bell, but those those uh, books certainly do. Yeah. But anyway, I'm super excited about this. Uh, you know, IDW continues to be a terrific uh, caretaker of the Star Trek franchise for comics. Uh, they did an Alien Spotlight series back in the day, you know, because they've they've had the they've had the rights since like 2007. Yeah. Um, and you know, those Alien books were great. I've loved their deep dives into Klingon culture, and I, I can't wait for this Kalis book. Okay, well that's exciting. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out and talk about it right here on this podcast. Right here. Right, right here, right here. here. So pretty excited, but Paul, Uh-oh. we had a debut. You know, we had a we had a season four debut of Star Trek Discovery just uh, two weeks ago. We did, yeah. Ah. Since the last time we've spoken, there are actually two episodes of Star Trek Discovery we're going to be talking about today. It, 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 it's 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 like double mint gum. You know, <laughs> we're going to double your pleasure, double your fun. Double mint, yeah. double mint gum. <laughs> that's that's the William Shatner version. <laughs> so Paul, talk to yes, us sir. about Kobayashi Maru. All right. So Kobayashi Maru finds the the Star Trek Discovery team in their in our first um, interaction with them at with uh, Michael Burnham as captain. Right. She she accepted the role of captain at the end of uh, actual captain, not like you know standing captain. Right. Right. Um, you know at the end of Discovery season three. So in Discovery season four, we now have Michael Burnham as the captain of the discovery and um you know the so you know the episode you're you're much better at these recaps than i am um but the, the you know the episode finds them you know kind of starting with um reopening starfleet academy 
Right. right. It's been so a five Burnham, month. It's been a five month jump since the last time we saw them. So they've had a little bit of time, uh, you know, to to uh, you know have some stuff kind of start in media res. Yeah. And you know, I gotta tell you the the first thing that that annoyed me in this episode, Paul. Mm. First thing. Uh, <laughs> The opening, uh, the the cold open, the opening sequence yes. uh, was ripped straight from Star Trek Into Darkness. I mean, it couldn't yes, have absolutely it could absolutely. not have been more ripped off from Star Trek Into Darkness with Book and uh, Michael Burnham down there, you know, trying to tr- trying to uh, make a first contact. When of course in Into Darkness they weren't trying to make a first contact, but. Uh, they were, you know, dealing with the locals and being chased off a cliff. And I'm like, the 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 running through the forest, being chased off the cliff is straight, straight out of Into Darkness. You're absolutely right. In cold you know, open I, position. I mean, it was just really, really on the nose. And I was very frustrated by that. Yeah, and you know, I I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of negative commentary, of which I have much um, on these first two episodes. But you know, you you made a comment, um, you know, in your reference to the story, which is that you know it was Burnham and Book down mm-hmm. on the surface, and you know, one of the trends that I'm going to complain about throughout these two episodes is, despite the fact that I appreciate Book as a character, and I thought the actor, and I think the actor's doing a fine job in the role, David Ajala. Yeah, David Ajala. Um, I I find it rather frustrating that the captain of a starship has invested so much in a non-Starfleet officer. Um, I understand their boyfriend and girlfriend. I understand, you know, he's done a lot for the ship, but he's not part of Starfleet. He should not be on Starfleet missions doing first contact. Mm -hmm. He should not be, you know, basically these first two episodes are very book heavy, Um, you know, especially the second episode where basically the entire, you know, ship is playing, you know, is dependent on a non-Starfleet officer, which, Mm -hmm. you know, for, I understand that this is the future, but I do find that, um, you know, Starfleet is, 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 for lack of a better way of saying it, it is a military organization and there are rules Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't seem like the rules apply, which is, unless they want them to, um, but they, they just, I found, I find, I found that aspect of these first two episodes very frustrating, which is Michael Burnham as a captain um, is not, not. I mean, there's. I understand that's why they made her a captain, and it's Michael Burnham, and they let's break the rules. But like she never, like she never even tries to play by the rules, um, and I find that a little bit frustrating. You know, I think you you've touched on something that I find to be one of the fundamental flaws of Discovery is that the cast is too big. Um, the, I, I am, it bothered me in the first episode, bothered me in the second episode that there's there, in my opinion, there are far more interesting characters, uh, on this show that we don't get to spend any time with. And really that's Detmer and Owo. I love both of those characters. We get to spend no time with them. Oh, the doctor, right? The doctor doesn't pop up in the first episode. Yeah. And Wilson Cruz is dynamite on screen. He has got, he pops with charisma. Um, and while I have issues with Anthony Rapp, uh, his character, not the man, um, I, I, uh, I, I really, really enjoy Wilson Cruz on the screen. And, you know, we've gotten, you know, some, some great Wilson Cruz, uh, stories, and, and, you know, in prior seasons. 
But there are so many characters there that I want to spend time with. I want to spend time with Tilly. I want to spend time with Owo. I want to spend time with Detmer. I want to spend time with Wilson Cruz. The folks that I'm getting are not the people I'm interested in. I am I'm not getting Michael and Brooke, and, and that's yeah. it, basically. I need. I, I, I there are a couple of characters that I need to leave. Uh, I need Book to leave because I feel like Michael Burnham is so much less interesting with her boyfriend on board. I think it's weird. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, you know, I feel like you know, and I know we're going down the rabbit hole here, mm-hmm. but I know I opened it um, because. I find Michael Burnham as a captain, right? And like I mentioned, this is our for our first experience with her as a captain. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it kind of appalling, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> like you know, and you know, it, it is not because of her. It is not because of you know, because I'm sure you know there are haters that would find other reasons why I'm I'm saying this, but it's because. Her boyfriend's on board. Her decisions are being governed by her boyfriend. Person, she is personally um, invested in the in every single mission. She's emotionally compromised in both of these first two episodes, and glaringly emotionally compromised. And on top of it, you know, I, I think about our Starfleet captains, you know, that that we've seen or commanders, right? So whether it's Kirk, Picard, Cisco, Janeway, um, Archer. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing someone in there. Um, Pike. Is that all of them? Yeah. At least that we've seen on screen, right? Yeah. Um, One uniform, regardless of your feelings, one uniform factor of all of those Starfleet captains is charisma. Yeah. Charisma and, and, and they they demand that they, they, they have a commanding presence. All of them, regardless of how you feel about, you know, any of them, they all had a commanding presence. They all felt like the boss. Burnham still feels like Burnham to me. Well, um, and, and, and I, I think I find that kind of like frustrating. I think something that has been consistent with all of our our, our starship commanders, uh, you know, you're talking about Kirk, Picard, Janeway, uh, they have all placed ship before self. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. There have been great stories about ship before self. Burnham struggles with that, and I understand that. And what I what I, I mean, that's part of the thread, right? I mean, right. But- I, I hope what we see is her go, you know what, I can't have you on board because it compromises my ability to uh, be an effective captain. I hope that's where we're going because I, I think that really has value. I mean, she she struggled sending Book on the, on, on, on the mission in the second episode, um, and I, 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 need, I need her to understand that's going to happen every time. Excuse me. Yeah. Every time uh, you need to send him somewhere, take him off the ship. You shouldn't have your boyfriend aboard. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, go ahead. Go, I was just I was going to move the conversation over to other characters. I need to go away. Uh, <laughs> but no, I mean you make a good point, right? Ultimately, uh, what I and where my frustration is 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 not with the actress who plays Michael Burnham. Um, mm-hmm. it, my frustration is that the writers of Star Trek Discovery have chosen to show, to basically start Michael Burnham's career as captain in in failure mm-hmm. right in, in both of these first two episodes for lack of a better way of saying it she basically failed as a captain mm-hmm. um, whether she you know the, the, well, we're going to talk about the first episode here in a moment um, you know the, the failures of that episode in, directly in her you know some of it by her choice same in the second episode. Um, you know, the emotional compromise and the fact that she literally had to go on a private channel to talk her boyfriend who was having to her boyfriend who was having a panic attack. Those 
are I, I wish we had seen Michael Burnham as a successful captain uh-huh. before we saw her struggles because I mean this is we we've had three seasons with her. We were all excited that she got the captain seat and she's immediately questioned by the president. She's immediately put into a failure scenario. And yeah. I just you know, for me, I would like to see a little bit of, of success and a little bit of pride and 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 um what's the word like self uh not ego, but you know, like a self-confidence built mm-hmm. in her as a captain before we start breaking her down. Well, we you know, basically there, started already breaking her down. There was a great scene in the first episode when she comes back from the away mission with the butterfly people, um, where she, you know, just real casually plops into the captain's seat and goes, "Well, that was a hell of a thing," something like that. Yeah, and that was fun. I, you know, it was nice to see Michael Burnham be happy and you know confident. Um. I really struggle with uh, the tone of the show, and this 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 starts in the first episode of the season and continues into the second episode with how the threats continue to be existential. Right? Mm-hmm. That that you know we had you know, the burn last season, we had you know the big AI thing in the season before that. And, you know, it's always the, the, the life of the Federation or the galaxy as we know it now uh, hangs in the balance. So I'm going to actually pause you there because, I, you know, I watched the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, <laughs> and there was and an existential threat. There was a, the existential threat <laughs> of Black Friday was looming above us. Yeah. No, um, Anthony Rapp was, was on, the sh- uh, yeah. on, on it and, and Wilson Cruz as well. Uh, both made appearances in the because it was airing on CBS and they're hyping you know their Paramount Plus uh, material. So they had Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz on at different points talking about you know the show and of course Anthony Rapp talking about Rent and all that. Uh, but they asked Anthony Rapp about season four and he talked about he's like you know we've got this you know large existential threat that's threatening us all and what we wanted to show is that the only way to defeat it was by uh, putting aside personal differences and trusting in science and government and governments working together in order to defeat this crisis, basically alluding to, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Um, So that that was very much intentional, at least in the part of season three. You know, I find it it super frustrating because (laughs) I I, I don't feel – I I love the great big, you know, galaxy-spanning threat – yeah. But you got to take a break from that kind of storytelling. You got to mix it up. Yeah, you got to um, start with like your 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 uh, monster of the week for lack of a better right. way of saying it. You know, your planet of the week episode. A little bit of exploration cuz they even acknowledge it in the first episode, right? They acknowledge mm-hmm. I'm excited to get back to scientific exploration. And by right. the end of the first episode, they've already undone it and you know, and gone into the um, you know, the uh the, the the format of you know big existential threat that will command the rest of the season yeah yeah it would be not it would have been nice to see like I said a little bit before you build or you know uh, you know have the threat be subtle but no we we kind of you know by the end of the first episode the 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 rest of the season has been established yeah so uh, I'll come back to uh, other characters that I'd like to to see leave the show <laughs> but you know getting back to you know the first episode of the season Kobayashi Maru uh you know it's it's nice to see that you know certain things survive even the you know the uh, uh you know dystopian uh in- interval that the federation experienced you know 800 years into the future 
you know, the Kobayashi Maru is still a thing there at Starfleet. Uh, you know, Michael Burnham ta- it talks to the president who, you know, references the Kobayashi Maru. And Michael Burnham re- reveals, well, you know, uh, you can't win the Kobayashi Maru. It is, you know, there, there is no way to win it. It's built for you to fail. You will always fail the Kobayashi Maru. That's a secret they don't tell you at the academy. And what I found interesting about that is that Michael Burnham did not go to Starfleet Academy. (laughs) (laughs) She came over directly from the Vulcan Academy. Very true. I would like, you know, who's who's telling stories about the Kobayashi Maru? Because, uh, you know, the first rule of Kobayashi Maru is we don't talk about Kobayashi Maru. Well, apparently you do. Well, it's 900 years. Well, I mean, not for her. I'm sure she has heard of the Kobayashi Maru at some point. Well, I'm just her uh, brother little... programmed it, at least in the uh, in, in the, the in, in the JJ verse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just I was super annoyed by that, you know. But you know the the the, the premise of this episode is uh, the new president of the Federation, who is uh, she's she, she's kind of a Heinz 57 sort of person. She's got a little bit of human in her, a little bit of Bajoran in her, and a little bit of Cardassian. Uh, and, you know, she, she is interested in doing a ride-along with the Enterprise out on their mission to, to help out this space station that's spinning out of control. And uh, she wants to, uh, you know, it turns out she wants to have a look at this Michael Burnham, because Michael Burnham, we find out later, might be a contender for the new spaceship that uh, the Federation is building. And this is the second thing that annoyed me about this, Paul. <laughs> that she was already in contention for us, for that, even though she's only been oh, in the captain role for five months? That's the third one. The second, <laughs> the second thing that annoyed me is that, you know, in the 23rd, Century, which is the original series, uh, you know, period. Mm-hmm. In the 24th century, which is Next Generation Deep Space Nine Voyager, the Federation is a post-scarcity society, right? They don't. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have the conversation all the time in Star Trek about how there's really no economy in the Federation because they have the ability to provide really everything to anyone. Whereas here we are 800 or so years in the future, and for a, a, a more than 100-year period, they didn't have dilithium, right? You know, because the, the burn burned through, and they didn't have dilithium. Yeah. All of these, you know, uh, star systems were really limited to what they could get to with the limited resources they had. So what was it, Paul? It was a scarcity society. So you you had a return to economics. We saw merchants, we saw we saw traders and whatnot. And five months, five months, Paul, from the time they have restored dilithium, they're back to being a post scarcity society. They are building new technology. They've got this great big shiny new starship, the new Voyager. The, I'm sorry, what was it? The Star something. Anyway, they got this, you know, great big fancy new new starship they're building. That this is the ship that they're considering Burnham for. You know, it, it's like none of that ever happened. There is a period of rebuilding they should be going through, and you know, right. your 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 economics don't just change overnight. The impact of that change doesn't occur overnight. And I, I just was super frustrated by that. I'm like, how the hell did you go from we got a couple of ships that can that can go warp speed and that's it to we've got this great big new ship we're building and it's going to do great things and we need a great captain to go with it. I don't understand yeah. that. I mean, it's it's like it it's like there's not anybody paying attention to what they did before. Not 
I know that everybody doesn't want to have to pay attention to all the post canon, you know, all the canon that has come before. But can you at least pay pay attention to last season? <laughs> I mean, it's I like they say kind of one surprising thing. that they were giving away, you know, because that was the thing at the beginning of the episode, right? That they they had dilithium um, that they were giving away uh-huh. to um, to that. Uh, that planet, you know, that the, during the first the butterfly combat, people, the butterfly, the butterfly people, people, right? And they're like, "We'll just leave some with you." I'm like, "How do you have that much already that you're just like, here you go, like just hand, like just, just like literally giving it to people?" Well, they because they hand waved that whole mining thing because remember, you know, Book's ship w- was able to, you know, shield itself, and Book was able to navigate through yeah. last season to get to the Dilithium planet. And so I mean, immediately when they came out, well, we've got this all solved now. We can mine it now. <laughs> but, you know, you're going to run out. It's yeah. a limited – it's a finite supply. You, this is no longer a post-scarcity society. And that should that should be a reality for folks. I understand you're, you're going to, you know, dole some of that out to rebuild the Federation and, and to establish trust and whatnot. But it is a finite supply. It, well, I don't that, think they're going to acknowledge that anytime. No, no, because that's not the writer's room they have. No. And to your point, the third thing that annoyed me is why the hell are we already considering Burnham for a promotion? She just became captain. Yeah. I mean, just became captain. And this is something, and this this is not this is not a discovery alone issue. This is something that happens in Star Trek all the time, where all the other captains in Star Trek are idiots. You know, and that always drives me crazy. You know, we can't see. It is so rare that we get to see another competent commander. You know, in the show, right? They they basically jump to the the person who's in charge of the ship that you're watching on this show is the only decent person in Starfleet. Right. Right. They're either at least now now they're all either corrupt or stupid. Right. Which is why I think the um, Odette Fair character is so. Such a breath of fresh air, right? Or, it or really Pike. is. You know, those characters, you know, Pike, Odette Fair, whose character I don't remember his name, but when they show yeah. up on the show, they're a breath of fresh air because you're like, yes, like, I can see why Starfleet's a thing now with leaders like this. Yeah. Um, you know, because they, they, they are charismatic. They're intelligent. They're, mm-hmm. you know, and I, 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 I like, I appreciate both of those characters. So, you know, continuing on in episode, uh, in the first episode of, of the uh, season, uh, we arrive at the spinning space station that has been knocked out of orbit by something. And, you know, it's just, you know, tumbling wildly out of control, which was kind of cool to see. I'll admit that. That was kind of cool to see. Because, you know, you always kind of wanted to see something big and disruptive like that happen to DS9, right? You know, yeah. DS9 was always, you know, just orbiting gently in space. And you always kind of wanted to see it just, <laughs> just you know, flying all over the place. spinning like a top on its axis, <laughs> you know. Uh Tilly leads an away mission with, uh, can't remember her name all of a sudden, Blue Del Barrio's character, but, uh, Adira. Uh, thank you, Adira. Um, you know, they, they, they go over and shit's out of control. Everything's coming apart. It winds up being, you know, a really, uh, dire struggle, on, you know, to get everybody to safety. And, and they actually lose somebody in the end. Um, not one of our, our, our crew, but uh, one of the people they were trying to rescue. Uh, Tilly starts the episode uh, with some issues. You know, she just doesn't seem her usual happy, you know, uh, bubbly self. Uh, 
she seems, you know, someone who's really questioning her role. Uh, and maybe that's got something to do with the fact that she, you know, did not have a successful run as XO on the ship. Maybe it's got something to do with, you know, their displacement in time uh, or any number of other things. I mean, you know, we don't know what's going on with Tilly. We just know that she's un- that she's unhappy. She's dissatisfied and she's not her usual self. Um, and losing uh, um, th- one of the people they were trying to rescue uh, hits her hard. Uh, at the end of the episode, we find out, you know, it's revealed that, uh, the president was sort of evaluating, uh, Burnham and, you know, the Kobayashi, uh, Maru of it all, you know, could certainly be applied to the rescue operation at the space station. But I think it also applies to the evaluation process that the president had. I don't think there was any way for, for Burnham to be successful in that evaluation. Um, so I think I think that that no win scenario sort of tells the story of both. But I also feel like and I hope I'm hopeful for this. I, I hope that it is uh, really telling the story of the entire season. And that maybe that no-win scenario applies to uh, her desire to keep Book on the ship. Um, I, I could be just reading in my own desires to that, but I, I really feel like the, the no-win scenario aspect of the Kobayashi Maru exercise uh, applies more than just to this episode. I think it's important that it was the first episode of the season. Yeah. Uh, because at the end of the episode, we find out, you know, Book went home to visit his brother for his nephew's, I think, naming day or something. You know, sort of a uh, uh, today he is a man, even though he was like eight years old. Um, and Book's home world is destroyed by the same anomaly that knocked the space station out of orbit. And we find out that this this is some you know monstrous, practically invisible. Uh, uh, anomaly, you know, running through the galaxy uh, that they've got to figure out. This is this is this is the big bad for uh, season four. Uh, we go over into episode two, anomaly, and Book has got some uh, post-traumatic stress, or he's you know traumatized by what's happened. You know that he's lost all of his family, nephew, brother, anybody else, you know, there on on uh, his home planet. Uh, that he he loved or cared for, they are all gone. The 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 uh, planet it was just completely destroyed. Um, no hope of survivors. We find out we get a big meeting of the minds uh, there at uh, Starfleet headquarters. We get to see a really cool looking uh, Ferengi uh, commander, and you know immediately I'm like, hey, there's a guy I want to know more about. I want to know about that guy. You know. <laughs> it, Meanwhile, you know, they've got, uh, you know, Adira and, you know, her, her ghost boyfriend on the screen. And I, <laughs> here's another person I need to go off the show. I need her ghost boyfriend to go away. I need her Greg, ghost yeah, boyfriend. I need Gray yeah. to go away. Um, yeah. Because and, and I feel like this kind of goes back to your point about the too many characters in the show. Uh-huh. Way too many. I feel like they are spending an inordinate amount of time on Adira and Gray as characters. And I, I got to tell you, neither one of them are that interesting. No, that's the thing. Like, it, you know, it, it's not it's it, this. It, neither one is particularly 
you know, like just in, yeah, I don't know, like maybe yeah. maybe you already summarized it, and I'm just trying to repeat it because yeah, they're not necessarily interesting. They're not fun. They're uh-huh. not, you know, they, they they make reference in the second episode. Um, Wilson Cruz's character, the Doctor, um, makes makes reference to Adira admiring, looking up to Tilly and just trying to impress right. her. And I'm like, I didn't get that at all. Like, no. well, you know, the, like, and, what, you, like, you know, she, it, are they trying to make Adira the new Crusher? Because if so, you know, you could see Crusher's enthusiasm and excitement and you, I don't get that from Adira. Well, and you know, that was the problem with, with uh, that part of the story is that you were, you, because you couldn't pick it up from Adira, you couldn't pick it up from the actor's performance. Mm-hmm. Another actor had to come in and tell you what was going on. Yeah, fair. You know, I, and that's what I thought was ridiculous about that because I I don't find uh, Blue Del Barrio's performance as Adira particularly compelling. It's just not interesting. And I don't know if that's the actor or if it's the scripts she's been provided, but I don't find that very very interesting. And when you've got uh, uh, gray you know her ghost boyfriend on the screen you know we're really not getting much from those except that they're very sweet scenes and and, you know i appreciate the sweetness of them but that's not compelling storytelling and i I, the whole time i'm like okay i can 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 we just graduate these two off the screen he wants to you know gray wants to go off and you know be a guardian of the uh symbiotes on trill let him go do that. Let's let's get him into his his uh, his android body and get him the fuck off the ship because I am so tired of him. Yep. And I gotta tell you, there are again, there are so many other more interesting characters on the show to me that I wish we were spending time with. I don't need any more time with Adira because I feel like she's got one note stories. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're going to come back with something great for her. But so far, right now, I could care less. Yeah, I don't disagree. Like, I, I feel, and because they, they, I mean, a significant amount of time in these first two episodes has been set, spent with those characters and, and to the, to the detriment of some of the other characters. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned, Wilson Cruz doesn't yeah. even show up in the first episode. But he is used to great effect, I thought, in, the second in episode, episode yes. two. Agreed. I thought he had some great scenes. And every time he is on the camera, I mean, I got to tell you, Paul, the camera loves Wilson Cruz. Yeah. Just loves Wilson Cruz. Uh, he looks great in that uniform. He uh, has, he just, he just bubbles with charisma. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really impressed. He has really grown uh, over the years in this role. And I, I really dig him, and, and I like that they're establishing, you know, him as medical officer, also being counselor. Because there's a scene where Tilly says, "Hey, I just need to talk. Can we do that with like, you know, you being a professional and me talking to you?" I mean, I thought that was that was a really nice scene. Um, yeah. How do you? So, what do you think they're setting up there? Because I'm kind of wondering. I'm wondering if they're setting up, and I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they're setting up a suicide arc for Tilly. I God, I hope not. I really hope not. I hope that's not a. I, I, you know, it is. I found it really unbelievable that an entire starship crew would agree to sacrifice everything they have in the present and you know leave it all behind irrevocably. Uh, you know, to go eight hundred years in the future to be with Michael Burnham, right? That just 
I, I could see a skeleton crew. Okay, eight of us are going. <laughs> you know, uh, to make sure that uh, uh, you know we uh, we protect the past. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I it, it, I always found that unbelievable. So you know, maybe Tilly is is you know coming to grips now with the trauma of having left all that behind. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I but I I can see depression. Yeah, I can see I can depression. See, I, I just I don't I, I would hate for them to do a you know a, a suicide arc that you know she just doesn't want to uh, to live anymore. Uh, I mean I don't want to be right. It just seems like you know what are they setting like you said maybe they're just setting up for yeah. depression and acknowledgments of that. Yeah. Well, and you know I keeping with the kinds of stories that Discovery likes to tell, I think you know perhaps a uh, a conversation about depression is probably in their wheelhouse. Yeah, those are they. They like to tell these kinds of stories, you know. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me. And uh, you know, uh, the doctor as mental health professional as well uh, would shine a light on that. Mm-hmm. I, that would not surprise me. You know, I, I think that that is certainly in line with the kinds of stories that they tell on this show. Um, I have enjoyed Anthony Rapp on the show many times. Uh, I did not enjoy him uh, in episode two. Um, his, I thought the joke was well written. His, you know, little comment about, well, you might as well just eject me out into space, referencing <laughs> what Barnum did to him in the prior season. Um, it, <laughs> I appreciated how passive aggressive it was. Um, well, what was funny about it, right, in, in that moment, what was funny about it is, you know, when season three ended, you could tell the despise he had uh-huh. on her his face when she was promoted to captain and in this season like he makes that comment that offhanded comment but he's like i was uh-huh. joking i was joking and it's like yeah but not really not really but i'm like are <laughs> yeah. but are you but i guess my question is are they setting up that are they ever going to acknowledge it or was that basically the acknowledgement of it and we're moving on from it? I hope they dive deeper into it because uh, the rage he felt, and I really appreciated that performance of his in in last season Mm -hmm. uh, where he's like, you know, we sacrificed everything for you and you're putting my family in jeopardy. Right. Um, I, I think that that's a real thing that they have to come back and revisit. And if they just sweep it under the rug like this, uh, I, 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 that's some bad storytelling. Um, I, I, I am, I feel pretty optimistic that they're going to come back and address this in a more meaningful style. But they did that thing this episode that I hate. You know, they had a five month jump in storytelling, and you know, Stamets and Book are you know together again for the first time. And uh, you know, he Stamets does the well. We haven't had the chance to talk. Well, you've had five months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what do you mean you haven't had the chance to talk? Um, that was I, I found that super annoying. Yeah. But uh, but you know, they they remind you that Stamets and Book are the only two guys who can work the spore drive, even though the Federation is currently or Starfleet is working on the spore drives. Yeah, but. A new and improved spot. <laughs> I guess that doesn't require require people. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. well, what, yeah, what 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 I find so amusing about that it's new and improved, but you know you never had it before. Fair, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it seems like maybe you should spend a little bit more time with version one <laughs> before you, you you go to version two. But I guess this is sort of the you know iPhone mentality of uh, of uh, engine design. But 
this episode, you know, spends a little bit more time describing the big bad, you know, and we get to see this, you know, gigantic five light year across cloud wrecking its way through uh, through the galaxy. And it, for some reason, turns, you know, it it, you know, made a course correction, if you will. And they don't know why it did that at the end of the episode, uh, which suggests that that uh, there could be an intelligence behind it, that it could be alive, that it's making choices. And Paul, here is my prediction. Yes. Are you ready for my prediction? Yes. This uh, th- this anomaly uh, that we that we see as the big bad in uh, season four of Star Trek Discovery is in fact. V'ger returned from Star Trek the Motion Picture. Oh. That is my prediction. And I here, here's why. Number okay. one, V'ger is a cloud, right? Okay. In Star Trek in Star Trek the Motion Picture, uh, things happen, yada yada. Uh, you know, it it transforms. You know, merging with you know V'ger merges with a human and uh, a Delton and uh, you know goes to another you know plane of existence I think this is V'ger returning and then I've got a meta reason for this Paramount Plus will be releasing soon the 4K version director's edition of Star Trek the motion picture mm, okay I think that there's some we're gonna go ahead and call it synergy here uh, <laughs> between these two things. I, I do. I, I I legit I haven't seen anything yet that would dissuade me from that. I think it's feature. Okay, okay. I mean, hey, it, you could be right, and if you are right, you heard it here first. Well, and I could win a coveted valuable ideology of Madness. <laughs> you could win a coveted <laughs> valuable ideology of Madness surprise. Um so I, I think we've there, there, there's one question that I'm going to ask you here in a moment, but I, one of the other things that I will say about this episode, or one of the final things I guess I should say, um, is I really didn't like the hard uh, or awkward reference to Picard in in this yeah. episode with uh, the with the uh soon style android yeah and they're like yeah. oh you know you know and then uh, well, captain uh i think picard was his yeah name? admiral by the way is what he said oh, but, admiral. Uh, yeah. i think picard was his name i'm like oh god like yeah come on like he, he, first of all I understand that you are from a time frame prior to Picard. Uh-huh. However, you've now been in the future for a year, and if you've read pretty much any book about Starfleet's history in the time period in which you missed, you probably know about Picard offhand. Like, I think I- like none of us go like, uh, I think his name was Christopher Columbus, maybe? <laughs> or well, I think Lincoln? I would ap- appreciate it to be more Easter eggy. Yeah. And, you know, don't don't call him Picard. You know, just say some admiral in the 24th century. Yeah. You know, just, you know, and we'll, the folks who know, will know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I thought it was just a bit heavy-handed. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Well, I mean, it just really hung a bell on it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, hey, look! We referenced our other show streaming right here on Paramount Plus. Yeah, you know that's exactly what it did. So, Aaron, question for yes. you. You know, we, we yeah. we've talked you know at length now about these episodes. Would you continue watching Star Trek Discovery if it wasn't Star Trek at this point? No, no, I would not. Yeah, I would agree yeah, with you. I I uh, I loves me some Star Trek, and you know, I was that guy years ago who was like. 
you know, but how can you not watch it? It's Star Trek. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, I, I, I do. I love it. I love Star Trek. Uh, I do not love Star Trek Discovery. I have very much enjoyed other uh, other seasons. Uh, I don't think this one's off to a good start. You know, one of the things that I here's another thing that annoys me, Paul. <laughs> um, I don't think they know how to use their AR wall. Um, take a look at how it's shot. They use all the space. Yeah. And so the bridge feels exponentially larger than it has in prior seasons. And I'm like, you know, this is a an early twenty. This is a, a early twenty third century ship. The bridge shouldn't be larger than you know Enterprise D. You know, it should be. You, you should have a sense of confinement. And I could understand. Okay, well, maybe maybe the discovery is that design. But every space that they use that wall in, like in Bookship, it's this gigantic, expansive place. Why is the bridge on Bookship so much the same size yeah. as the Discovery when it fits inside the Discovery? And let me also talk about, you know, the, all of these all these sets within the AR wall are just so fucking huge. They're the the they have lost all sorts of dynamism in the way they block those scenes because everyone is standing so far apart. You know, there, the way you drive your action is to pressure your actors, and they don't do that because they're all so far away from each other. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, so I that that is nails on a chalkboard to me right now. Clearly, yeah. I the first episode they shot with the AR wall was episode one. Um, Clearly, they're not nearly as astute as you know the Disney folks shooting Star Wars, yeah. you know, shooting Mandalorian. Because I never get that sense over on Mandalorian. I am completely transported yeah. in Mandalorian. I am not here. I am very aware of what they're doing. Oh yeah. Uh, um, I also I am I forgot how annoyed I was in season three by this, <laughs> but the minute it came on the show, the reorienting, reshaping ship. That, that is books yes. irritates the living fuck out of me and worse are the disconnected nacelles on discovery yeah that is an overcomplication in design that i cannot imagine that any engineer in the in in the universe would approve of because all it takes is one system to go down and all of a sudden you don't have warp speed anymore yep your your nacelles are just flying all over everywhere. <laughs> I, just, I, I I I I hate it, Paul. I just really do. So to answer your question, this would be enough to drive me off of any other episode of any other show. And another thing, you know, <laughs> Star Trek Discovery is not the 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 name of the show Starship Star Trek Discovery would suggest to somebody coming to it that it's about discovering new life and new worlds. It is not. It is about discovering the other people around us, right? Yeah. It is it is about discovering relationships. It is about discovering who who the folks are that that people this world. Um I there there they have been very successful in prior seasons at certain times to really make that connection. The episode where Saru sets essentially a Thanksgiving dinner and has everybody everybody in, that scene was pitch perfect. These moments that we're spending with like blue blue uh, uh, Adira. Adira and Gray talking, every time I want to scratch my eyeballs out because they 
they just don't move the story forward. Well, they don't it's say just, anything new, and I think that's part of the yeah, issue, right? It's, it's the just, same scene that we saw in right. now seen for two seasons. And it's just sweet. And yeah. I appreciate the sweetness, but it doesn't do anything, and it's wasting time that I'd prefer to be spending with other characters. Um, and that's a lot of what they do. So I love Saru, and Saru comes back uh, to Discovery to resume his role or to take on the role of XO. Um at no point do we have any conversation as who was serving as, as her XO uh, while Saru was away. We know it wasn't Tilly anymore, and it, I think it was Reed? I think it was Reed. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that drives me crazy about this show is that we don't really specify who's doing what. You know, to date, we don't have a chief medical officer. No. It's somebody that's always off screen. It's, you know, Wilson Cruz is just a doctor on the staff. Um the chief engineer it, it has become uh, uh, Jet Reno's character. But, you know, because of COVID, she's not in the show. And so when something bad's going on in engineering, we just cut to the lab with Stamets. We have not defined who's doing what role. And we haven't. And it goes to the problem the cast is too fucking big. Yeah. You know, you re- I mean, the, the cast is so big that we can't bother to, to have somebody in the role of chief medical officer. And why the hell isn't it Wilson Cruz? That's that's part of my question. Like, what would what's the harm in it being him? Well, and you know, I think it all started out with these are all junior officers, and they just and they you know wrap it. That was Brian Fuller's original view was that this was really a lower deck sort of story. True. And you know when Brian Fuller left and you know Akiva Kurtzman came in as uh, showrunner. They rapidly change that. But the problem is those bones are still there and they need to come back and, and really, I mean, it, coming to the, to, you know, the future as they have, that would have been the time to do it, right? Yeah. You know, the, the time to say, okay, uh, Wilson Cruz, you're now chief medical officer. You know, uh, I, I, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand the show's failure to embrace those roles. Uh, but it's super annoying. And so, I, again, back to your original point, if this wasn't Star Trek, I'd be out. Because I, I find that I am highly frustrated about a lot of it. Yeah, same here. Um, now, I will continue watching it. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we, we bitch about every season of Discovery for a little <laughs> bit. And sometimes they stick the landing, sometimes they don't, right? I think, right. The, you know, season two was definitely one that stuck the landing with Captain Pike. But, um you know, let some. Let, you know, there was definitely some frustrations about the way season two ended. Um, you know, with oh well, Spock just never spoke of his sister again, and we erased Discovery from the history books, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know, and then season three came in, and we, you know, didn't necessarily stick the landing either, um, but had some good moments. You know, I, I my hope is because clearly we're on a Star Trek podcast, we're going to continue watching Star Trek Discovery. Um, my hope is to see Burnham step outside of herself and quit being selfish as a captain, because I, I would say she's a very selfish captain. Um, yeah. You know, not, not and putting, know, all, all, I, putting her own interests and the interests of book literally above anybody in the crew. She's not really acknowledged the crew beyond or, or utilized the crew in these first two episodes beyond book. Um, you know, they, they did this, they did this five month jump. Mm-hmm. I'd have been perfectly happy if I had that, had that five month jump been tw- another year. You know, like they did because they did a year jump in season three. Yeah, um, I would have been happy had it been another year and she was more comfortable being captain where I didn't have to have to watch this crap. Yeah, um, I, I, 
I don't feel like I need to be in the moment with her figuring this out, and I don't need it to be a, a season-long arc. I mean, maybe you do it in one episode. They certainly did it in one episode with Picard yeah. when you know he fell in love with his you know uh, stellar cartographer person, and that was a great episode. And at the end of it, he's like, "I can't have you on the ship. I can't send you. I can't send you out on the dangerous away mission. I can't put you at risk. It affects my judgment. You got to go. You know. Yeah. Um. I. I I really feel like there is an economy of storytelling that occurs in episodic television that does not occur today in serialized storytelling. And I think that there is a happy medium there. Uh, I, I would have liked us to get to the end of episode two and Burnham have realized I can't have my boyfriend on the ship. Yeah. You know, sorry, sorry, guy. Love you, but you can't be here. And maybe there will be acknowledgement of it in, in episode three, right? There was not a moment at the end of season two to really have that conversation. But we'll- I think the I think the problem is that the the show loves David Ajala. Yeah. And I, don't get me wrong, David Ajala is great. I like him. I want to see them break up. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I think that's far more likely than him actually leaving the show. Yeah. Well, you know, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, remains to be seen how how this season will continue but obviously you know we we have some harsh words on these first two episodes i'm i'm still hopeful you know same. it's like same. i don't i don't i'm not i'm not down for hate watching no no of course not i'm not watching it just a bitch about it on the show i'm watching yeah. it because i yeah. hope it'll you know we, we will see some bright moments and acknowledgments of storylines um that that will be of interest but i i do think these first two episodes are are not a move in the right right direction. Well, and I think the next question, Paul, so you you asked, you know, if I was not a Star Trek fan, uh, would I continue watching uh, Star Trek Discovery? I think the bigger question is, is if episodes one and two of season four were the first Star Treks we had seen instead of what we saw in season one, would I have stayed on? And I think that answer is no. Um, I... Honestly, episodes. I would say yes because I would. I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I feel like these are better than the actual. Oh, I disagree. Initial two-parter. I, I think that the initial two-parter is much stronger. Really? And uh, huh. the, these first two episodes. Uh, you know, even even though I hated what they did with the Klingons in season one, I think that those were those were better episodes. I'll have to revisit. So, uh, don't, don't, I, I wouldn't commit the time. <laughs> <laughs> That is hate watching. Yeah, that right. is hate watching. Well, what did you yeah. guys think of Star Trek Discovery um, episodes one and two of season four? Definitely, you know, give us a call on the IOM Geek Hotline. Aaron, that number is nine seven two seven six three five nine zero three. That number once again nine seven two seven six three five nine zero three. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you could win a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. And hey, something that I recently discovered, we actually can receive texts. There at the uh, IOM ah. Geek Hotline. So feel free to text us as well. Send Aaron your penis pictures. Um, <laughs> oh dear, don't don't do that. Don't do that. Well, unless it's you know double Klingon penis, no, then double uh, penis. <laughs> again, you know, keeping in 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 tune with our uh, double mint gum analogy. <laughs> there you go. You can also hit us up on social media. We are IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What a deal. Well, we will do this all over again next time and hopefully have uh, happier feelings about what we've seen. Fingers crossed. We'll see you then. Wahoo! Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. 
Tribble Wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays, no troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. 